The church is made up of people who are very different in uncountable ways, but all of whom share a common history. That history is, for many, if not most of us, one that we adopt or are adopted by when we become Christians. This corporate history is comprised of the facts, the images, the relics, the poetry, and the stories of God's actions among and with human beings. When we enter into relationship with God and God's people, we take on that history as our own. Abraham and Sarah, Rahab and Joshua, Bathsheba and David, Esther and Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ruth and Mary and Joseph and Martha and Lazarus. These people become our ancestors and their failures, their joys, their hopes, their secrets, their sorrows and their laughter become our heritage. Their story is our history. Their story is our memory. Do you remember the story of the disciples hiding out in Jerusalem because they were afraid of the Jews? Do you remember how surprised they were when Jesus came into their secret place? Strange, isn't it? Hiding from the Jews, only to have the king of the Jews come strolling in. As he did so many times before, Jesus greeted them in their fear with a word of peace. Peace be with you. I'm here. Peace is here. Peace be with you. Then with all the dignity of a child removing a bandage for the curious eye of a close friend, Jesus held out his hands and parted his robe. See my wounds. It's really me. See my scars. That one really hurt. But I'm here. The disciples rejoiced. Then things got harder. Jesus showed them that their fear and their joy were to be joined. Peace be with you. As God sent me, so send I you. You will share my scars and my resurrection. They held their breath. Jesus breathed for them. He breathed on them. He gave them the holy breath, the Holy Spirit. And with it, a mission. Forgive and forgive. If you do, forgiveness will happen. If you don't, it won't. So my forgiven ones, forgive. This is your mission. Do you remember how Thomas, that least compulsive disciple, no watch, no beeper, no alarm clock, do you remember... How he showed up late to find that he'd missed the meeting. Do you remember how he insisted that he would not believe until he saw the scars for himself? Strange, isn't it? The proof he saw it was not some display of power, but a glimpse of the wounds of God. The next week he was there with the disciples when Jesus returned. Again. Peace be with you. And you, Thomas, my beloved skeptic, here, see my wounds, touch my wounds, put your hand in my side. That one really hurt. Do you see? I'm here, my Lord and my God.
Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believe. It strikes me as quite remarkable that John has chosen in the space of 12 verses to repeat the revealing of the scars. Isn't it remarkable how he very carefully joins the scars of Christ with the resurrection of Christ? Blessed are those who have seen and yet not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who remember these things they have not seen but believe. It's easy to forget, to to be distracted, bogged down, turned aside, to lose sight of the forest for the trees. Let's face it, it's no easy task to maintain a divine perspective when yesterday, today, and tomorrow intrude. Each of us has plenty of exhilarating, difficult, painful, and absorbing responsibility to use up our energy. And as if that were not enough, we've got internal stuff, individual memories which crowd us and, like sunglasses after dark, obscure things even more. Not only can't we see the forest, but the trees look like ghosts walking. Somewhere along the way, we've each accumulated our own set of wounds. And for some, the wounds are old and only bother us on rainy days. For others, the wounds are fresh and still open and raw. They need to be tended to. The fresh wounds need bandages, and the old wounds need need warmth and massage. Can it be that part of the mission of the community of God's people is to tend those wounds by remembering the story of a wounded, risen Christ? In his commentary on John 20, verses 19 to 31, William Temple quotes a poem that was written after the First World War. The poet's name is Edward Shillito, and the poem is entitled Jesus of the Scars. It's a meditation on the scene in which the risen Christ shows the disciples his hands and his side, a meditation from the point of view of one who'd been damaged by the horror of the First World War. If we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. The heavens frighten us. They are too calm. In all the universe, we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is the balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars, we claim thy grace. If when the doors are shut, thou drawest near, only reveal those hands, that side of thine. We know today what wounds are. Have no fear. Show us thy scars. We know the countersign. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Both the poet and I think the gospel writer 
understood that there's some healing to be found in remembering that the risen Jesus was a wounded Jesus. If we only recall the wounds, we have just one more reason to despair, since even God is an innocent victim. If we only recall the resurrection, we can lose sight of the humanity of Jesus and so come to believe that his suffering was not entirely real. There's wisdom, I believe, in John's holding the two together, the cross and the empty tomb, the scars and the resurrection, the wounded and the risen Jesus. In doing so, John offers not only a corrective to our tendency to emphasize one over the other, offering us a robust Christology, a a Jesus who's both fully human and fully divine. John also offers us pastoral care, reminding us that the risen Lord is also the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, the one who was both broken and raised for our salvation. It was almost 20 years ago now that I got a call early one morning, and it was uh, from my younger brother, David. He was calling me from my mother's home in Texas, and he told me that my brother Jim had died. He'd driven his car to a deserted rest area, and in an act of unimaginable despair and concentration, had taken his own life. He was almost 30 years old. Mary Lou Daniel and I flew to Texas for the funeral, and it brought little comfort, and perhaps nothing would have then. The thing that seems most striking to me was the unwillingness on the part of the pastors and my family to tell the truth about Jim's depression. The testimonials told of his good character, his love of God, his overwhelming desire to do God's will, all of which were true, but were not the whole story. And the effect of this denial, for me at least, was to make greater an already deep loss. I mean, how could somebody so good, so loved, do this thing? About a year and a half after that, the brother of a close friend also committed suicide. Mary Lou and I went to Virginia for the funeral. The circumstances were really quite similar. People spoke of their deep love and respect for the young man who'd given his life to God in the church. But they also spoke openly of the burden of his depression and some of its causes and its effects. At one point in my friend's memorial service, we sang a song about Jesus, the bread of life, and the chorus repeated the words, and I will raise him up. I will raise him up. I will raise him up on the last day. It was in that service that I think I really began to find some healing. My brother's funeral included talk of the resurrection, but it ignored talk of the wounds and so had a shrill, hollow quality to it that really belied the power of the words. What I needed was somebody to say, remember the scars, remember the resurrection. They go together. It was a wounded Jesus who was raised from the dead. Remember, I will raise him up on the last day. This is no easy comfort, no quickly tossed off palliative. It, it does not offer escape because, and because of that, a lot of folks don't want to be reminded. The disciples were told to stop preaching, to stop saying the name of Jesus because it made the authorities feel guilty. Don't bring that up. You're trying to make us feel responsible for the blood of that man. 
Well, they were right. The stories that were being told exposed the guilt of those who caused his death. But what the authorities missed was that the disciples themselves also bore that guilt. Instead of dodging it, the disciples accepted it and and so discovered that those guilty of the death of Jesus were met with forgiveness. Their only catch, accept the mission to go out and forgive. Our gospel reading for today insists that we reckon with the scars on the body of our risen Savior. They are the proof that what Jesus endured really did happen. They are the proof in their own way that it really was Jesus who was raised. And they are the proof if we need it. The proof that our scars are not forgotten. Our wounds are not of no account. And that the weakness of our flesh is no barrier to our own resurrection. We shall be raised. We shall be raised. Scars and all. When we remind each other of the resurrection of the wounded Jesus, we don't offer escape from the wounds of our own living. We offer hope. A hope that acknowledges the reality of pain and despair and death and then ties all three to the resurrection. We offer the healing that can come when we remember that our suffering was shared, is shared by the wounded living God. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Amen.